Before Easter, we uh, had been in a series, within a series, the series is called uh, Get the Big Truth First. Um, and it's part of uh, our new series in Ephesians, where we're um, made new to live new. And uh, we talked for three weeks about the big truth. And the big truth is the true story of God, the world, and us, as told by Paul in the first chapter of, the, of his uh, letter to the Ephesians. Now, while we were doing this, a couple of people, uh, I'd been sort of retranslating into English uh, in a more contemporary way, uh, some of the, the text, and there were a couple of people who asked if, if I could provide that. So um, I, it, it's on the back of your note sheets. I don't want you to use this as, um, as your regular devotional reading, but if you're confused, sometimes th- this text is a little confusing in English, and uh, hopefully this is a, a more contemporary way of, of really getting at, at, at what's there. And so I have that for you. Let's read, let's stand and read um, the whole thing. Ephesians 1, 4 to 13, the big truth. And then let's talk about it and sum it up. Starting in verse 4. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He predestined us for himself to be adopted as sons or children through Jesus Christ. He did this because it brought him joy and because he wanted the glory of his grace, which he freely gave us in the beloved to be praised. In him we have ransom, that is, forgiveness of sins through his blood, in keeping with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Uh, be seated and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pick it back up in a little bit. The big truth. In that text right there, we've got the first part of the big truth. And it's the big truth of election. We talked about this four weeks ago. And this truth can be summed up. The Father has chosen us in Jesus the King. And it's a really weird concept. We talked a little bit about it. Because on the one hand, God has chosen us from before the foundation, the beginning of the world. And yet, on the other hand, we have a choice. We have an opportunity to freely respond to God's grace. And I, I told a story that uh, was told to me when I was in college by um, a campus pastor named Matty B. And he said, Tom... It's like this. When I was eight years old, um, my dad taught me to drive. And he, he put me in his lap, and he sat me in the driver's seat in the parking lot of the Kmart in my town. And he let me steer the wheel. And he was always there, and so it was my choice where we went. But it was secure. It was, it was, it was never, we were never in danger because he was always there to take control if things got out of hand. And Tom, that's a little bit how we can understand God's choosing of us in Jesus. Jesus is right there holding the wheel if he needs to. And this, of course, is just like the way that God chose Israel. And we saw that, that God chose Israel, his son, to bring him glory. And in the same way, he's chosen us to bring him glory. Going on in the text, and you don't have to stand. Um, In him we have ransom. That is, forgiveness of sins through his blood, in keeping with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, God has revealed to us the mystery of his will, because it brought him joy to do so. He set forward in Christ the master plan, that when the times were ripe, he might sum everything up in Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, in him. We talked about the fact that the Father has delivered us 
from the power of sin and bondage to sin through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That Jesus, like the Passover lamb who protected the people of Israel from the angel of death so that they could be liberated from Egypt, similarly, Christ, our Passover lamb, dies so that the power of sin, that that chain is broken in us and that we can live real, true, eternal life. We talked about um, movies these days where, where Denzel Washington often plays a, a, a hostage negoci- negotiator and, and he gives himself into the hands of the captors in the bank so that the, the hostages can be set free. And that in, this, in the same way that Israel was set free from Egypt, we have been set free from the power of sin and death through Jesus the King. Verse 11, we have also been appointed an inheritance in Christ. We were predestined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. This was so that we, the Jews, Paul's a Jew, who first hoped in the Messiah might exist to bring praise to his glory. In him, you Gentiles too, who heard the word of truth, the good news of your rescue and believed it, you too were secured with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance toward the redemption of God's property from Hawk to the praise of his glory. And that this is the teaching, the truth, the big truth that the Father has secured for us the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, a new life in God by the Spirit of Jesus the King. And we talked about the way that the Spirit secures us. It's, it's, it's sort of like um, my, my Grandpa Joe who uh, used to raise cattle. I found out, I, I called it the Z Lazy Z Ranch. Apparently it's the Too Lazy Two Ranch, and I misremembered that. My mom was very upset. I want to set the record straight. Uh, the ranch is the Too Lazy Two Ranch. And, and, and uh, my grandfather would brand um, these cattle with Too Lazy Two. Uh, two and then a sideways two. And they would be on the, ca- on the, uh, on the rump of the cattle. And, and that's sort of like the way that the, secu- uh, the spirit is marked in us. And, and I pointed out that, you know, if that, if that cow one day wakes up and says, I'm tired of this brand, well, tough. You've been branded. And sometimes we might wake up one day and say, I'm tired of this spirit. Tough. He lives in you. He secured you and you can't get away. He's taking you to the promised land. So that's it. The Father has chosen us in Jesus the King. The Father has delivered us from bondage to sin through, through Jesus the King. The Father has secured us for the promised land by G- the Spirit of Jesus the King. This is it. The big truth, the, the big true story, the one thing that sums up the whole scriptures from beginning to end, Israel's story first and then our continuation or, or grafting into Israel's story, that this is what God has done for the church, for his people, all throughout history. This is it. So we got the big truth. Now what? You might ask yourself, now what? How does knowing this truth bring any change to our lives? There's a lot of things that we know. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we know. We know that, um, that if we, we hold out a ball and, and we we open our hand, the ball will drop because we know about gravity. How does that change our life? Well, it doesn't seem like it changes it it much at all in our day-to-day existence. And we might worry that we know the what 
of the big truth, but we don't know why or how it propels us into a different age. It, it might not matter. In fact, you might even start asking, what, what are we even doing here? If this is the big truth, and now we've got it, it's been told, this is the story of the Bible, beginning to end, why even bother coming here and being together? And let's talk a little bit about that in the next few minutes. When we started this uh, series, we, we heard from uh, St. Ray Bradbury, who's not a saint, um, and was a decent man, but, uh, and, he, and he was the, so he, he, he says this, he says, get the big truth first. If you get the big truth, the small truths will accumulate around it. Let them be magnetized to it, drawn to it, and then cling to it. The idea being that this big truth, the Father has chosen us, delivered us, and secured us, that this is like a big magnet. And that everything else in our life are like little iron filaments, little tiny pieces of, of metal that are around that magnet. And as that magnet becomes more bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more important, those filaments are drawn to it. And they're moving to it. When I was a kid, um, I, I had this uh, magnet set. And I had little vials of iron filaments and there was this big yellow magnet that I would hold. And I loved to, to scrape the magnet just above the, um, above the table like this. And then watch as the, as the, as the filament started to trail along and tried to, started to be caught up, filtered, um, organized according to the draw of this magnet. And so you had this little piece of metal that was pointing this way and pointing that way and it was up here and down there. And then because of the magnet's influence, they all started to go like this. And then when I put the magnet down, they clung to the magnet. This is the big truth. And all the little truths of life must be reorganized, refashioned, according to the influence of this magnet. There is a change of pattern and orientation such that everything about our life is altered forever when we live into this thing. A lot of people have been asking... Uh, you can kind of see there's this gray, uh, the background of the slide. It's gray. It's kind of indistinct. I put some filters on it using the magic of software, so it's hard to see. What is that, Tom? Um, in 2002, apparently, if you can go to the next slide, in 2002, if you look at the direct center of the screen, like the very center of the screen, there's um, a row there, and it's like the second from the, the middle, second down. That's where I was sitting uh, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, 2002, 14 years ago, almost probably right around this week, 14 years ago, um, in Ephesus, in Turkey, um, I was sitting right there in the center of that screen. Um, it was uh, just a few months after 9-11, and uh, so there wasn't a lot of tourism to uh, countries that were perceived to be in the Middle East. And so prices were very, very low. And my friend Sid um, was a classics major. And, and Sid had come to faith uh, his first or second year of college. And this was our junior year. And uh, he was really charged up. And he was learning about the scriptures. And he, he really wanted to be there and be a part of it. He was a classics guy. He loved ancient stuff. And so he, he didn't want to travel alone. And so he, he enlisted my, my help. He said, let's, let's go see the churches um, that, it's, that are talked about in the scriptures in Turkey. And I was like, well, well I'm sure my parents will pay for that. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we did. Um, <laughs> uh, but to be fair, though, I mean, airfare, everything, food, everything. It was about a thousand bucks for a, a week. I mean, it was amazing, uh, but you can't do that anymore. We stayed in five-star hotels. 
Uh, it was, it was, and they were desolate. Um, we got to Ephesus, and um, there was a church group from uh, from Iowa, and uh, they had, you know, put together this this tour, and they had this really um, this college professor who was also a member of the church who was leading the tour, and so um, Sid had been our guide. He'd been following some of his notes, and I was like, Sid, your your, your notes are great, but let's. Let's go with a pro. And he's like, well, we can't. We didn't pay for it. And so I tapped this lady on the, on, the, on the shoulder. I said, hey, we'd like to follow your church group. Is that cool? And she said, sure. So we did. And we got to the real story of Ephesus. And so uh, he brought us into the theater. This is the theater. Um, and, and he had us sit down in that, in that third section. Seriously, right in the center of that picture. And we sat down. And the leader guy, he, um, he gets out his Bible. And he starts to tell us this story. And it's a story of Paul in Ephesus. 2,000 years ago. And the story takes place in that theater. And we're sitting there. And he says, when Paul got to Ephesus and he spent some time there, you know what he did? And I was like, I don't know. He preached the gospel. He said, he started a riot. That's the first thing in your note sheet. The first time Paul told the big truth in Ephesus, it started a riot. And this actually happens in Acts 19. Um, we're told the story. Paul's sitting there and he's telling the big truth to the people of Ephesus for two years. He's telling them the, the Father's chosen us. He's delivered us. And, and he's secured us. And he tells it to them over and over and over. And it just so happens that this starts to filter out filter out into, into, the, into the, the world. And more and more Ephesians, people in Ephesus, are starting to believe this big truth. And suddenly, bam, there's a riot. And it's taken place right there in that place, in that theater. Why? It's just a set of facts, right? Father chose us, delivered us, secured us. It's just that. What does that have anything to do with regular life? Why fight? Um, right here, uh, this next one, it's the ruins of the Temple of Artemis. You can see this. It's really cool. I mean, it, it, when you're looking, the rest of Ephesus is actually better excavated, and that's because the Temple of Artemis was uh, burned to the ground for the, the third or fourth time in about 400 AD. And so this is, what, this is all we've got left. Um, you go to the next one. Uh, this right here, this is not the Temple of Artemis. This is the Hagia Sophia, which uh, used to be um, one of the most important churches in Christendom in Istanbul. But you'll notice that there's two pillars, and, they, and on ones on the side, they look, um, they look different than the one in the middle. That's because that pillar was salvaged from the Temple of Artemis in Ephesus, um, about an out, uh, a mile outside of the city, and, and it was taken to the Hagia Sophia to be preserved. Um, so that's a... So it's hard to see, but that kind of gives you a little bit maybe a sense of how big the Temple of Artemis was. This is what uh, the Temple of Artemis would have looked like probably um, around the time that, that, that Paul was living in Ephesus. This was one of the seven uh, ancient wonder, wonders of the ancient world. Uh, that, that was a thing uh, back then. Uh, Artemis was uh, the, the patroness, the patron goddess of Ephesus. She was, um, she was the goddess both of, of, well, of three things, virginity, um, the, the hunt, or successful hunting, and uh, fertility. And if you know anything about ancient gods and goddesses, fertility and virginity often did not go together. Um, but somehow they did in, in, in Artemis. And this is interesting because Ephesus was this really prosperous town. It was uh, really, really powerful um, because of its location. It was a center of trade routes. It's uh, near the coast um, of of. Asia Minor, Turkey. And so it was a, a place of great power and great, um, great wealth. Um, 
and uh, Artemis was their patroness. And so what happened was Paul was, was in the church there, and, and he, was, he was telling people um, about, about this, this big truth. And so they stopped going um, to this temple, uh, and they stopped uh, making sacrifices at the temple. And that's a, a big deal because um, those, sa- those sacrifices, someone has to make them. They were usually made out of stuff, and, and then they would pay money for those sacrifices. In fact, in fact, people would come all from all over the ancient world to do this. And so uh, Paul starts telling the big truth, st- starts telling the big truth, and, and suddenly, and suddenly, this is in your note sheets, the big truth about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit disrupts lives lived according to the world's normal rules. The big truth disrupts lives lived according to the world's normal rules. Why is this? It's because, it's because um, on, on the historical level, uh, it's because there's this natural result of changed beliefs. You see, if you believe that for, before the foundation of the world, this one God, Yahweh, chose his people, and if you believe that from the beginning of the world and through the acts of history, uh, this one God delivered his people, and if you believe that um, this one God, this one God has secured his people, then you find that you don't need the other gods. Because one God did everything. He took care of everything. It might not seem weird to us uh, for, you know, if you convert to Christianity that you stop being Buddhist or something like that. That might not seem weird to us. That was very weird in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you could, you know, you believed in Artemis, and you believed in Zeus, and you believed in lots of different gods, and you were more favorable to this one, but you kind of liked that one, and that was okay. But suddenly, this new, this new vision, this new big truth descends into that world. And suddenly, people are choosing one God, and they are ignoring the rest. Then they start even, they, they stop believing in the rest, because this one big God has done it all, chosen, delivered, secured. And there's this guy, Demetrius, who's a silversmith, who made idols and sacrifices to Artemis. And he did not like what was going on. And so he gathers up all the metal workers and a whole bunch of Greeks in the city, and he gathers them into that theater, and they start yelling, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Because the big truth was starting to really disrupt their lives. So on the historical level, the disruption of life is just the natural result of changed beliefs. Once you start believing in Yahweh, you don't have time or need for Artemis. This is very similar to in our own lives, how once we come to faith in this big truth, we start to recognize perhaps sin in our life and we want to get rid of it. If this is the story of the world, then maybe this way that I'm living is not in keeping with it. And since that's the truth... I should dump this thing. But there's another level. And that's the theological level. And at the theological level, one thing that we have not talked almost about at all during our time in Ephesians 1 is this phrase, the praise of his glory. And I want to suggest to you that the praise of his glory is what transforms life. It's what 
disrupts everything. And it is what we are called to do and to be. And if we follow this calling, everything is going to make sense. We will know why we do what we do. We will know how the big truth changes everything. Let me just point it out a few times in the text. In verse 6, look at this. And because he wanted the glory of his grace, which he freely gave us in the beloved, to be praised. This is why God chose us. And then when uh, he's talking about our deliverance uh, in in verse 11 and 12, this deliverance, this was so that we, the Jews, who first hoped in the Messiah, might exist to bring praise to his glory. This deliverance that happened and his revelation of it to us, it was all done so that we might exist to bring praise to his glory. And then in verses 13 and 14, talking about security, the Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance. Why? To the praise of His glory. People are going to look at this branding on us, this, this too lazy two of God's kingdom. They're going to say, that is the praise of His glory. What does that mean? It's hard to imagine what God's glory is. Um, God's glory is kind of an abstract concept. Uh, glory. What is that? How do you picture glory? Well, the way that we humans picture glory or picture any abstract con- concept is we put it into, 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 into a, an example, a historical example. Um, and in this case, it's the cross. The cross is, is God's glory. And, and, and our election, his choosing us, is, it's, it's demonstrating his glory. I remember about five years ago, I had been living like this. This, uh, kind of, maybe, right? Yeah, okay, all right. Um, I, got, I got glasses. Um, I remember the first thing that happened. Um, we were, uh, so I put them on, and it was like, whoa. And uh, we were driving home from Lagoon Hills Mall, and I looked out the window, and uh, the sun was coming through the trees. And uh, I had never before seen, or at least I couldn't remember, um, the way leaves w- look you know, in HD, in the real world. Um, and and it, it, I wasn't squinting. It was so clear. I mean, from the car, I could see the veins in the leaves. And I was like, I would like to be in nature. This is great. And that's not normal for me. I don't like the outside, outside at all. But, but just looking at it, I was drawn to it. I was like, whoa. The second thing I remember from that day was... Um, we, we got back, and uh, Aaron and I were um, sitting um, on a couch, and I turned and looked at her. I mean, dude, good job, Tom. <laughs> Who knew? It's <laughs> clear as day. I remember being like, man, that's great. What a win. Uh, and, and suddenly, and suddenly, uh, just rekindled, rekindled my heart. I was like, wow, I really want to be with this person. She's beautiful. This beauty that I'd seen in, in nature and this beauty in this girl, they, they drew me in. And I wanted to be with them. Like, really be with them. And not leave them ever. I wanted everything in life to change. I wanted to stop being, uh, you know, living in my cave with the lights out, playing video games. I wanted to get out into the, you know, the, into the real world. I wanted to be a part of it. 
I wanted to go on a date. <laughs> I mean, really, I wanted to have a date night immediately. The big truth, friends, and the more we study it, the closer we get to it, it's like putting on glasses, right? But here's the difference. The difference is once you've seen Aaron in HD and once you've seen the leaves in HD, it doesn't get any better. But here's the crazy thing about God. God gets better every time you put on a new pair of glasses. Every time you change your eyes, more and more beauty, more and more grace, more and more joy, you, you find yourself drawn in. Again and again and again, it refreshes over and over and over. There's no limit to it. Not in this life. There's no limit to that magnetism. And it all starts with the big truth. That magnetism draws you in every part of your life and it becomes clearer and clearer. And you look at God and you are, you can't, you can't do anything but be with Him. Be like Him. This is why we do what we do. This is why you are here today. This is why you're gonna come back next week and the week after that. Because here, in this place, we are going to hold up the word of God, which is those new glasses. And we are going to explore it and delve into it. And we are going to see God anew again and again and again. And we are going to be transformed and drawn to his beauty. And it is going to change our lives in a way that you will not believe. Well, you might believe it because it's probably happened to some extent in the past. And it's going to happen again in the future. Because God's truth is inexhaustible. And it draws us closer and closer and clearer and clearer to who he is in himself. By doing this, we taste the promised land now. We live a little bit of heaven now. Our community is transformed. Our family becomes more and more gracious, more and more loving we look after each other, we build each other up, we raise each other and push each other forward because we see God as he is and he's done that for us. Friends, the longer I've been in Southern California, the more discouraged I have become about the place we live and the nation we live in. The more I feel like it departs farther and farther and farther away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the true truth, the big truth. And the more and more I feel like an alien in my own country. Friends, we are doing what we do here because it is changing us and it is making us a faithful remnant. We in this church and the ones who come and live with us, we will outlast the world. The world may burn, but we will be true to, the, to, to God and who he is. We will be transformed by his beauty, and people will look at us and say, everything that is wrong is right there. That's who this church is. That's who we will be, because we hold fast the word of truth. We, we say, uh, Marilyn, if, we, if you just go to the next slide. It's our last slide. Look at this slide. Uh, uh, Neil uh, told me that this is the case, um, and I didn't know it. Is there not one more? Oh, well, the first slide then. The first slide. Uh, it, it's the slide that, 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 that plays, you know, when you get here. And at the end of, of things, it's uh, the, the one, we don't have the one before that? I lost that too? The logo slide. Yes, that. There it is. Okay. Guys, I did not know this. Neil told me this. Our, 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 our mission um, is there. Preach the truth of God's word. Prepare a loving, spirit-led family. Proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, I've been, you know, Shortening this to Bible, grace, and family. We do that because it shapes us and transforms us into a community that the world cannot understand and desperately wants to be. Brothers and sisters, we've got the big truth. And the more we live into it, the more we delve into the word of God and see it clearer and clearer and see him, him and his beauty clearer and clearer, the more we'll be drawn to him. 
the more we be transformed by him, the more this family will be a gracious family in him, the more gracious we will be with each other, the more God's grace will continue to lavish on us and we will find ourselves bathing in it and loving it. Our lives are being transformed by the word of truth in this place. Come friends, come again and again because we've got the big truth here. Now, let's be transformed into it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for choosing us, this little mighty place. We thank you for delivering us from bondage through your son. We thank you for grabbing us and securing us and branding us with your spirit. God, I pray that we will be transformed again and again into the image of your son, drawn ever forward by the beauty of your truth and who you are, that the world outside will marvel. And as far as it may decay, we will thrive. We will outlast and overcome the world because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.